Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic, we are recording this episode from our respective closets, but that's not I'm actually much No, because... I've really invested in a good home office, so I have the best recording setup I have literally ever had. But we are... Really? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Um, but we are socially distancing, as we always do in this podcast, because we live a th- 2,000 miles away from each other. Yeah, I was going to say, like, everybody's now doing it the way that we do it. Um, all of the podcasts are talking about how no one's in the office, and they're they're distant from each other and recording from their uh, their closets. So, But we started it. Today, we're going to talk about COVID-19. Sounds great. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So neither you nor I are epidemiologists. We're, well, in my oh, case, no. I'm a data scientist. <laughs> in your case, you're a, uh, a web developer. But there's a lot of really good science that's being done and documented right now as people who are epidemiologists are trying to understand the dynamics of this outbreak and give us all the best information that we can have about what we should be doing to bring this under control. So we'll be talking about one of the papers that I was reading this weekend that I think really unpacks for me an important and interesting question, which gets to the heart of understanding how testing can be a strategic weapon in bringing down the number of cases and also allowing people to start venturing out of their homes with a little more confidence that they're not going to immediately get sick. Right. Yeah. One interesting question that's come up for me, and this is as we're recording it, uh, in mid-late March of 2020, has been how many, like, because in the United States at this point, we're pretty much just testing people who are sick and are exhibiting symptoms because we don't have enough tests to to test people who are exhibiting fewer symptoms or none at all. The question that's come up for me is how do we know whether it's just the sick people who are spreading COVID-19, the people with um, with symptoms, or whether there's a whole army of asymptomatic carriers out there spreading the the disease across the the country and across the world? Yeah, great question. So just to unpack one of those phrases a little bit here, asymptomatic carrier in this context means that you might have the disease, you might be contagious, but that you don't feel bad. So you don't have that signal from basically your immune system, like, hey, you're sick and you need to stay inside and stay away from people. If you don't get that feedback from your body, basically, then it's really easy for you to go out and go to the grocery store or meet up with a friend and without realizing it, be spreading the virus all around, which of course makes this really, really difficult to control from a public health perspective if that's happening on a wide scale. Yeah. And spread is not just when you sneeze on someone, it's when you touch your face and then touch a doorknob and then someone touches the doorknob and touches their face. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, as you pointed out, it's a little bit tough to know if there are lots of people who are asymptomatic carriers in the United States because we are not so far doing a good job at all of testing people. Even people who are sick and exhibiting symptoms uh, in many cases are having trouble getting tested to know if they do have COVID-19. So when there's such a 
lack of testing, then that means that folks who might be asymptomatic carriers, I feel fine, but I just want to be tested to know if I need to stay away from other people for a few weeks. Like that is, it's easy to see why that's the not the number one priority of the limited number of tests that we have, but it could actually be, if that's happening, a huge driver of the overall spread that we're seeing. So trying to understand the underlying dynamics, like how many asymptomatic carriers might be out there and how do we find them more quickly and and give them that information so they know to stay inside for a couple weeks is a huge part of getting this all under control. Okay, so that sounds good. Um, What does the paper that you read have to say about that specifically? So the paper that I read, let me just give credit where it's due at the outset here. Uh, It's in Science Magazine entitled Substantial Undocumented Infection Facilitates the Rapid Dissemination of Novel Coronavirus. This is from March 16th, 2020, so less than a week ago as we're recording this. And as you can tell from the headline, it's the finding of this paper is that the data suggests to us that they're actually, we do likely live in a regime where many people are asymptomatic carriers and that that should be an important part of our strategy in fighting this. Right. So social distancing is probably a good tool in our toolbox because uh, it works to limit the spread among people who might think that they're healthy. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, ideally, not to bury the lead here or something, but, you know, the the long-term fix that this suggests is probably something like what they're doing in South Korea, which is very aggressive testing so that you know who is the asymptomatic, who might be an asymptomatic carrier. And mm. then, you know, we don't all have to stay home. Instead, we can be a little bit more targeted and, and just smart about who has to stay home for a few weeks. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I've seen circulating around the internet, and uh, I I don't know where this started, which is unfortunately a, a product of where we are with the with information spread but the 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 shift in um thinking of instead of thinking i don't want to get infected everyone else could infect me instead think i might be infected i don't want to infect everyone else and then your behavior given that will kind of handle both cases it's it's a neat paradigm shift yeah, so the question of this paper I think goes right into that, which is like I don't know, how what do we what do we think might be the probability or the overall population of asymptomatic carriers versus people who get really sick. And as we kind of mentioned at the outset, depending on how smart you're being with and how comprehensive you're being with your testing strategy, you could end up with data that looks the same but you don't know kind of what world you're living in. So what these researchers did, they uh, I'll give you the punchline up front with data that they used from uh, China in mostly like January and February of 2020. Uh, they fit a model that suggests that something like 80 to 90% of overall infections are not documented and are very likely to be either low or very mild mildly symptomatic cases. So that means that overall, although those folks might be less contagious, like individually, um, you know, let's say I'm an asymptomatic carrier and I come over to your house, like maybe there's only a 20% chance that you get sick rather than if I'm coughing all over you and I feel terrible, maybe then there's an 80% chance or something. So 
you know, even accounting for some attenuation of the contagiousness of folks who have mild or no symptoms, because it seems like there's a lot of them, uh, this is actually one of the biggest drivers overall of the spread of the disease and, and, you know, makes it pretty hard to get a control on this without good testing. So, but the question you might be asking yourself is sort of like, okay, 80 to 90%, like where did that number come from? These are the kinds of things that I always like to understand. So let's talk about the, the model a little bit. Let's talk about the paper. So as always, we will have a link on LinearDigressions.com. But what the scientists have done here is, number one, they've built on top of a few epidemiological models that have been already built and validated for other types of diseases, namely cholera and measles. And they build a model that's basically a set of coupled differential equations. And they say, how are four different quantities changing through time? the number of susceptible people in a given city let's and like i said they're they're using data from china here so let's say how many susceptible people in a given city in china how many people in that city have been exposed how many people in that city have been infected with the disease and it's documented like they've taken a test and it's showing up in an official registry somewhere and how many of those people are infected but undocumented um, presumably because in many cases they have, uh, you know, not a lot of symptoms. And how are all of those rates changing through time and also changing through space? Because of course, China isn't like a single place. Instead, it's this mm-hmm. network of interconnected cities that have kind of travel patterns between them, especially noteworthy travel patterns in, in January and February because of, uh, well, two things. Number one, a lot of travel because it was, uh, Chinese New Year, and then right, and then the the government basically started to shut down all the travel. So you have this kind of very jarring disconnect between kind of before and after travel restrictions go into effect. So you have to fit the model in a couple different phases to take into account for all of that. But that's interesting. That that's yeah, it's already getting really complicated because it's not a simple petri dish model. Oh yeah, no, it's super complicated. <laughs> um, so those are the state variables that um, are kind of the the things that you could potentially, let's say, observe. None of those variables really describe anything about the disease. So I guess by state variable, you're talking about the the state of the population and the the circumstances that you start your little simulation in. Um, what are, is there a different term for things that? pertain specifically to, say, the envir- the virus's infectivity or those kinds of things? Yeah. I mean, so what we're more interested in here, a second type of variable, or, well, they're interesting, but in a different way, uh, called latent variables. So these are the variables that I think of as describing kind of the underlying dynamics of the system a little bit more and that okay. you can't observe directly, but instead could only sort of observe secondhand through measurements of the system, and you need to infer them through the modeling and the statistics and all that. So the latent variables in this model. So number one, there is a variable for how long between when you begin being contagious and when you realize that you are sick, how long is that period? Uh, So they, you know, that might be like a couple days, that might be a week. Um, And then there's a second variable, which is the average duration of the infection that you have. So once you realize that you're sick, perhaps, how long then does that, do you stay sick? There are a couple variables for how 
much transmission of the disease there is between, let's imagine we have two classes of carriers. We have symptomatic carriers and asymptomatic carriers. Um, oh, interesting. So it's like how contagious basically is each of those types of people. Um, and right. so there's like an overall contagion factor. This is like a this variable beta. And then there's another variable if you're asymptomatic mu that we figure is like less than one. And then mu times beta is your how contagious you are if you're asymptomatic. So that's what I was talking about before. Like maybe if I'm asymptomatic and I come over to your house, there's a you know, a factor of two or a factor of five or something reduction in how likely you are to get sick from interacting with me because I'm not coughing all over your house or whatever. Right. Okay. So the reason that you separate them. So I guess the reality is you've got the spectrum of symptomaticness. I don't know if that's a word uh, where you've got the people who are showing no symptoms at all. You've got the people who are just like coughing and sneezing over everything. And then you've got people maybe in between, but for the simplicity of the model, you just separate these into two groups and you say, the asymptomatic people are less likely to spread it than the symptomatic people. And, um, you know, you have a variable maybe that controls what that difference would be. Yeah. Or that parameterizes. Yeah. What's the, what's the factor between those two. And just to be clear, like that's not something that we know, like number one, that there is a differential in the contagion. We don't know that a priori. Um, and if that is true, we don't know how much that attenuation factor is, but these are things that we're going to try to solve for using the model that we're building and the data that we have to put into it so that we can like back out from the data, what we, what's our best guess about these latent parameters. Right. God, um, the more we talk about this, the more complex it gets. Like, obviously the model is not going to be able to solve for everything, but I'm thinking about things like uh, cultural differences where some countries they're more comfortable with using masks uh, more aggressively and some countries they're not as, as comfortable with that. Um, yeah, this is, this is well, really so, interesting. Yeah. So let me give you the last couple latent variables, but then, you know, what we're trying to do is define latent variables that are in many cases kind of general to a lot of that stuff. So ideally what, well, we'll get to that in a second. Let me give you the last couple latent variables. Mm -hmm. Um, so one, the second to last one is a, uh, what they call a travel multiplicative factor. So that's basically saying that when you're traveling around a lot and you're in situations where you're like interacting with lots of different groups of people, then your contagiousness goes up overall just because of the more chances that you have to infect people. So there's a parameter for that. And then last is um, a, a parameter for the fraction of undocumented infections. So in the context of this episode, that's one of the more interesting parameters of the model. Of course, they're all like super interesting and important, mm -hmm. um, but that's what we're that's kind of like the conceit of what we're talking about here is like, what is alpha? What is the fraction of undocumented infections that we see in what the data is suggesting to us? So what you do is you take all of these terms and you put them into this kind of complex set of coupled differential equations that say, okay, the number of susceptible people, the number, number of exposed people, the number of documented infected, and the number of undocumented infected people, all of those I can express in terms of these latent variables. Um, and I have a bunch of data about especially the number of documented infected people uh, through time and through space. So I'm going to fit this complex set of equations using the data that I have um, and try to back out my best guess estimates about what the values of those latent variables are. 
and through that try to understand, you know, what are the dynamics of the disease that actually explain the the transmission patterns that we see in the data, again, that we get from like the Chinese government. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt if that's if that's your cup of tea to mix my metaphors here. But anyway, it's the best data we have. So so <laughs> we'll use it. tea, huh? Does not sound that tasty. Um, so anyway, um, so that's the setup. And so, uh, yeah, like you said, it's already a pretty complex model, but you can also see how it's arguably rolls up a lot of additional complexity into five to 10 to 15 terms yeah, uh, right. that you put into the, the system of equations itself. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the things that you're talking about, you can kind of break them up and say, okay, well, this might be, this variable might be determined by these, you know, 20 different things, but for the purposes of this model, uh, you're just going to give it a value and say, okay, well, regardless of the um, different things that might go into this variable, this is the value we're going to run the simulation with and we'll see what we get. Well, kind of. I mean, so usually what they do with, especially the latent variables, I mean, they don't know what value it has, but they make some assumptions like maybe it's drawn from a Poisson distribution or a Gaussian distribution. And then we say, okay, let's try a whole bunch of different values for each of these different parameters, run a little simulation, and then see if that looks like what it is we saw. Um, and in particular, you can generate fake outbreaks where you know the like quote unquote right answer for these parameters and see if your model can return to you things that look consistent with like the underlying dynamics of the system, which you which you know because you generated it right. So so you can kind of do a sanity check on your model to make sure that it gives you the right answers in cases where you know those right answers. Um, and then you don't have to make as hard of assumptions about the values for these parameters. Instead, you kind of let those float and then see which values fit the best. The thing that's also interesting, though, and that I wanted to come back to from what you were saying a second ago, is like, okay, so there's all this complexity about when and where do we start modifying travel plans? When and where do people start quarantining themselves or being quarantined in their homes through government action? You know, when and where do measures like better hand hy hygiene or people are wearing masks, you know, how do, how do we take those into account in the model? And again, it's kind of nifty because to a certain extent, you don't have to take them into account explicitly. Instead, we have data from before and after some of those measures started to go into effect and like while they were going into effect. So through that transition zone. Mm. And so you can see how the underlying latent parameters then will start to change. So like one example is a parameter of interest is for each person who's infected on average, how many additional people do they spread it to? And before there were any social measures put in place, this was measured to be something like two and a half, like 2.4, I think. So for each person who gets sick, they make 2.4 additional people also sick. Uh, once some of these measures started to go into place and, and people wouldn't leave their homes and were wearing masks and gloves and all this kind of stuff, then we see evidence from the data that that number drops pretty dramatically to like less than one. So you can see those, you don't have to put those social effects into the model explicitly as parameters. Instead, you 
allow them to enter in through the data that you're fitting to, and then see you can see how they make a difference on uh, the values of these latent variables that the model fits to. So what this means is assuming that you know the data is good and the science is sound. The conclusion here, which is that a large majority of people who have this disease actually don't know that they have it and are not experiencing severe symptoms, tells us, suggests a few things, and this is mostly now my opinion, um, but I think hopefully like one that, that feels scientifically valid now that we all understand how this model works, mm-hmm. um, which is that asymptomatic carriers, there's evidence that it seems like that's actually a really big component of this disease, which means that even if you don't feel like you're sick or you don't feel like you have anything worse than a cold, because there's many other people who might be in the same boat who uh, could use that as a reason to go out and about and spread the disease. That's actually, we think right now, one of the bigger drivers of this pandemic as a whole. So that's why staying inside is so important. And that's also why having better testing, especially in the United States where we are, is super important for getting life back to normal. Because um, until you have a way of knowing as a whole uh, how prevalent the disease is amongst especially people who don't realize they have it, then um, in a world where you don't have that information, the only thing you can do is assume that, like you said, everybody has it because that's close enough to the mm. to the truth. Um, so as soon as, as the United States hopefully gets its act together on some of this testing stuff, uh, that's going to be something I'll be personally watching very closely and will start to look forward to having much more comprehensive and, and reliable data about um, some of these testing results. It's really interesting sitting on an exponential curve and seeing how much things change from day to day. Yeah, the business end of an exponential is is no joke. The thing that's funny about it is that exponential exponential processes they feel like nothing is happening until all of a sudden like everything is happening like they hit you really really fast which i think we're all feeling right now the steep end of this and the other thing that's tough is that because of the underlying dynamics of the system things that we're we're kind of seeing right now uh the results of choices and patterns and stuff that was going on uh, a couple weeks ago so it can be Mm hard that there's that disconnect in time but yeah it's uh it's a it's a real it's a real thing all right so until further notice we're all sick and we should (laughs) great behave like it (laughs) yes oh and i have one other thing this is on a totally Mm. different topic um but i told my dad i would put it on here so one of the (laughs) casualties of all the social distancing is that the march madness was canceled uh, March the, Madness is hockey. It, ben. I'm sorry. I'm just trolling you. It's college basketball. Okay. <laughs> that was a pretty good one. <laughs> uh, I fell for that. Okay. It's college basketball. And uh, speaking of, of hypothetical scenarios or not so hypothetical scenarios getting modeled. So this year, my hometown University of Dayton Flyers were projected by CBS Sports to win the whole thing, which the city of Dayton would have been so excited about. But now it's canceled. So I think 
that we should just say that the University of Dayton won the 2020 March Madness tournament and just give them the crown because I think that they earned it even though nobody got to play in it. Yeah, I have no horse in this race. And as the only other voice on this show right now, I'll say, sure. Okay, good. Congratulations. So, yeah, so that's that's your slightly different and hopefully lighter little nugget of data science this week. Uh, University of Dayton Flyers 2020 NCAA champions. You heard it here first. Very, very exciting. All right, so uh, stay socially distant. Uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, as as always, links on LinearDigressions.com. Some really, really good stuff here if you like digging into this stuff as much as I do. Stay safe. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.